Welcome to Livelihood, providing tactical and practical tips for women who work. I'm Britt Larson, your host. I want to welcome my good friend from childhood, Katie Huey, who has been such an amazing supporter of Livelihood from day one. I actually featured Katie very, very early on uh, when Livelihood was first launched. So I'm so honored to have her here today. We're talking about, honestly, kind of a tough topic, but I really love her perspective on this tough topic. And I'm excited to hear what she's learned as she's kind of gone through this journey. So we're going to be talking about workplace grief and kind of how to deal with personal grief in the workplace, but also just kind of how to handle it in a professional way and how to help people that are going through it as well. And even as I'm talking about it, I don't even really know how to talk about it because I think it's one of those things that until you've encountered it, you don't really know how to deal with it. So thank you, Katie, for being here to have this conversation. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I just love, we were talking total tangent, but Katie and I were friends in high school and haven't talked in years. And I can't even remember, but I think you saw a blog post from Livelihood and we reconnected and the internet's just so awesome. (laughs) It is a magical space and Facebook does wonders for connecting people too. It's so true for as much crap that I, you know, I give social media a hard time. There are lots of good things about it. So Katie, uh, tell us what you do for your job and then let's, uh, let's talk about grief. But I want to know about uh, what you're doing day to day right now. Yeah. Um, well, I wear a few hats throughout the day. Um, my <laughs> full-time job is director of operations at an organizational improvement firm, which is called Trebuchet Group, which is sometimes a mouthful. Um, but think like medieval trebuchet and, um, I do a lot of support for our CEO and help with scheduling and um, all of our personality assessments and kind of keep things running behind the scenes. Um, I love that we work with purpose-based businesses to really help leaders increase their impact. I also am a writer and have my own side project, um, which is a blog that I call 52 Beautiful Things, which um, I'm trying to slowly turn into a book. So that is on the back back middle burner warming as uh, the day job continues. So I kind of have my hands in um, multiple things, but there's a common thread of how can we improve people's lives and make work better? Um, in different capacities. I love it. And I've often shared 52 beautiful things on Instagram, especially on livelihood because Katie is such a talented writer. You are capable of doing what I cannot through writing. I mean, I'm really straightforward and succinct and you bring out emotion and, Oh, I love love getting your emails with your new blog posts. So there's a little plug. Thank you. (laughs) To give Katie a follow because a really just unique way of, of writing. I I love your perspective. Um, so obviously really aware of kind of challenges in the workplace with your day job, right? I mean, operations is a lot. It's difficult. There's lots of problems this specific problem that you, you speak to a lot on your blog and also 
um, you know, something that you've just dealt with personally is grief and then how to handle grief, maybe on a personal level in the workplace. So will you tell us about your journey with grief? Sure. I think it's interesting when we talk about how do we, how do we even say this? Like, is it grief in the workplace? Is it people who are working, who are grieving? Um, and I say yes to all of the above. Um, I lost my dad unexpectedly in March of 2016. He was seemingly fine one day and gone the next. And I was 27 years old at the time. I didn't realize that. I thought he was sick. So that is really Oh yeah. It's totally unexpected. Totally unexpected. So it's, it's definitely, I mean, I think losing loved ones is hard no matter what, but, um, it was definitely a shock to our family. Um, at the time I had, I was about three months into a new dream job, um, which was really, really challenging and kicking my butt. And as I started processing grief and supporting my family, it became pretty evident that staying in that job wasn't going to work for me or the company. Um, and I was let go from that position. And then, um, around that time too, my husband lost his job. So when you talk about a perfect shit storm, oh. can I say shit? <laughs> um, That's fine. <laughs> I think it works in this situation. <laughs> I think sometimes life just falls apart and it looks like all kinds of things for humans all over the planet. Um, but what in that process of kind of rebuilding and recovery, um, both my husband and I took different jobs that we really had to step back and say, how can we support ourselves um, while maybe not pursuing a dream job? So kind of walking along this path, there was how do, how do we address our own grief while also trying to rebuild and um, stabilize our lives? So it has been three years, which is hard to say. Mm. Um, But in that process, I've actually had, let's see, two other jobs um, and have learned to deal with grief and sharing personal information in work settings in two very different environments. I went to work for the person who actually acquired my dad's insurance agency immediately after the law. Interesting. Um, Which when I look back at that is crazy. And it was kind of a wonderful gift. You know, I was there for about a year and a half and then kind of was able to be stable enough to present myself in a professional manner and get a job that I am a little bit more interested in. Wow. That is a tender mercy for sure. Yes. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. So all throughout, I think, you know, in the immediate shock, taking care of yourself while you're living with loss is really hard. What's different about my story is I wasn't necessarily getting up and going to a job every day. I was job searching and in an environment that was very much my dad's legacy, which I think a lot of people deal with maybe in family businesses or just different environments. Grief looks like all kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. And in my current position, you know, when I was interviewing, I was very adamant about telling the truth from where I was coming from. And I made that choice to say that I was still in recovery um, because I didn't want to work for a person who wasn't understanding. That was a choice that I made. I think people have to assess how safe that feels, but I decided I cannot be in a place that's not going to acknowledge that this is where I'm at. And that's been a real gift. Oh, I love that. So how did you approach that? How did you say, hey, I'm I'm still in the middle of processing this really 
horrible and hard thing that happened to me. And how did they receive it? Yeah, that's, um, I certainly didn't use those words. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, questions come up during interviews that are a lot like, well, why do you want to leave your current job? You know, what do you want to gain from making this career move? And I was just really honest and said, you know, we lost my dad unexpectedly. I had to take a step back professionally to take a job that wasn't so demanding. I'm now in a place where I'm ready to regain my confidence and use my skills in different ways. And I think they, my current employer is very receptive to that and excited about opportunities and using new energy. And that's what felt good for me. I know it doesn't feel good for everyone. Yeah. And I love two things that I've thought as you, as you answer that question is that first of all, it's totally okay. If you're not always fighting your way up the ladder, whatever is going on in your life, that's causing that step back that giving yourself that permission has obviously helped you so much that you were able to just, you had to, you had to Mm -hmm. take that step back. And I think that's wonderful because too often women force themselves to keep working or pushing themselves to a breaking point. And I really respect that you acknowledge that you needed that and figured out a way to still live because you have to have to feed yourself and make those things happen. But I just, I love that you were willing to admit that to yourself and to make that change. And then that you recognize that you needed to work for someone who acknowledged that too, that they needed to be receptive to what felt good to you. And I would say the job I have now is the first time I really feel like for me, I came to the table with this is who I am and what I'm dealing with currently. And it's the first time I feel like I've been received. Mm -hmm. But I've Mm -hmm. often thought, is that just because it was the first time I was I was honest. So I think there's a lot to be learned from that example that you've shared. And I think it's really scary to put your full self forward. Um, I'm a big believer that Mm -hmm. you can't leave your personal self at the door and turn, you know, walk in and, and be professional. I do think you can learn how to integrate those two things. And I talk a lot about I kind of run this question in my head of is sharing this information helping the work that we're doing? is if it's going to make people uncomfortable, am I okay with that? And how does this help our relationship? Mm. So I've learned the hard way after a lot of blank stares and oversharing that like not everyone needs to know about the details of my grieving process, but just knowing that it's there is really freeing. Wow. Those questions are so empowering because like you said, You may overstep or you may overshare or you may realize there are people in the workplace who who won't be receptive. And frankly, for your own sanity and safety, you don't need to share everything. But you learn that and that that comes with time for sure. Yep. So what do you think companies can do to help people dealing with grief? You've obviously had several experiences with different types of companies Um, What's been most helpful and what do you think still needs to change in the workplace? I think from a very practical place, when you work with real humans, you're going to encounter real suffering. And I want companies to come at human relations with an understanding that things happen. From a very practical place, it's looking at your bereavement policy. How much time are you giving people to handle official matters, um, what relationships quantify or qualify leave? Is it best friends? Is it just parents? Is it spouses? 
So I think from a policy organizational standpoint, are you building systems in place to acknowledge that like humans deal with this stuff on a daily basis? And also, are you leading from a place of compassion to know that like this is tough stuff? And even though I've gone through personal loss, when I encounter it from other people, I'm still just as tongue-tied. Oh, that's actually really a big relief because I just feel like as especially as a manager, I never know what to say. But I think acknowledging that we all feel that way. And even though I've been through it, like I still worry as I type emails and I face-to-face things. It's like, oh, how much should I bring this up? And I think the best thing you can do is say something. My biggest pet peeve is when people say there are no words in Mm. times of sorrow. I'm like, maybe there's no words for you, but like I have a ton of words. Because that kind of shuts it down if you're saying that to someone who's grieving. I've never thought about that. I never say that because I always have words. But... (laughs) But I do think that's a very, that's not coming from a vulnerable place at all and allowing people to share. So that's so interesting. So, you know, say something, even if it's like, I want to be with you in this. Um, I know this is tough and I'm not sure what to say. That's so different than there are no words. So much better. So I've, I've kind of gotten on a soapbox about that. Good. That's why I'm giving you this microphone too. <laughs> yeah, it's so powerful because I think what's often hard is that, at least for me, this is often when it comes up uh, from a manager's perspective, when people have come to me and said something horrible has happened and they either need to go home or they need to deal with it or they need to deal with a funeral, whatever it may be. It's often the first time I've dealt with something like this with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, usually I know them and I may have Mm -hmm. worked with them for years, but I haven't seen them like this. And I think your first point about looking at bereavement policies and treating people like the humans that they are, it, it sounds so overly simplistic, but I'm sure you and I could spend an hour talking about times that we weren't treated that way. Sure. You know, I had an experience, uh, this last fall which is the busy season for my company. And I had an employee who uh, dealt with a death in the family and our bereavement policy is actually, it's, it's good. And I think it's actually really holistic and kind of broad, which in some ways is helpful In other ways it can be kind of concerning or unclear. And I just said, just take three days. And it was so interesting to me that felt so obvious because mm-hmm. it was kind of a distant relative, but she came back to me and just said, having that clarity from me as her manager so quickly was, was really helpful. And then it started getting me thinking about, well, we need to do that across the board. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And of course, you know, the extent of the relationships are so different, you know, you have the funeral and that's hard and sucky, but paperwork and life insurance policies and closing out accounts and all of that takes months. And so, and most of it takes time away from work. And so that's Mm. where I think flexible work policies are really helpful. And I also really encourage managers to have one-on-one conversations about, you know, like on a weekly basis of what can we move around? What can we delegate? What do you feel comfortable with? Some people really want to be at work. Sometimes work is a safe space and a distraction and where they feel good. And so everybody's different. And that's really one of the hardest things about grief is there's no formula. I think 
managers can be cautious, but also really understand that like you still have things to get done and um, Mm. how do you balance this need of like needing performance versus being empathetic and sympathetic. And it's a, it's a hard line to walk. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And as a manager, I always would rather know. I mean, at the end of the day, I would rather be communicated to that you're not in a place to get things done or you need more time or whatever it may be. Because if you wait until the ball is dropped or until you are drowning, that's way more work. And so obviously feel things out and hope, hopefully you feel like you have somewhat of an empathetic manager. You can be that for other people. But like you said, some people want to want to get back to work. I had an employee whose husband died unexpectedly. And one thing that kind of frustrated me is that the company was really patting themselves on the back for allowing me to give her an additional week of bereavement. It was 90 days in when it really hit her, you know, and I, and I'm watching this and we were friends on top of me being her manager. And I think people forget that they think the funeral's over. You've moved on it's often worse nine, 10 months later, two years exactly. later. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll just say yes. What advice do you have uh, to help people who's either, you know, peers or coworkers or people that they employ of how to help them deal with grief? That's a really great question. And I think your last comment about timeline is really relevant here. In the first few weeks, lots of people are going to show up after there's a loss and your fridge will be full and people bring flowers. And actually one of my favorite things that we received was a box of tissue and toilet paper, which seems really bizarre, but it was just the most practical thing because we had so many people coming in and out of our house and Kleenex, you know, flies out of the everywhere. So I think in those immediate weeks, um, when people are around you and supporting you, just show up. I think a lot of times too, people are really unsure of what to do and, and use your best judgment. I say too, when you are grieving, choosing what to wear and what to eat for breakfast is really overwhelming. So the question or statement, like, just let me know what I can do is so not helpful. Amen. Yes. I hate that in any situation. Yeah. It's such a cop out. So I think, you know, I had people at work and in my personal life saying like, I'd like to bring you dinner Would Thursday or Friday be better. I'd like to help with this blog post. Can I take this off your hands? Offering help in suggestive ways is really with like concrete follow-ups is really, really helpful. Take them or the mental work out of it. And if people decline, that's okay too. I think you have to respect people's space. Again, it goes back to that really personal preference. Also, food is interesting. Some people have a lot of food issues, and I can tell you, I still can't eat lasagna. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) That makes sense. Well, it's okay. I mean, people have good intentions, but I think offering suggestions and letting people say yes or no is really um, grace-giving, I guess. And then going back to your point about timeline, like grief does not stop once the life insurance policy is signed. Six month anniversary is hard. One year anniversary is hard. Like the start of football season can be hard. So Cheryl Sandberg, Mm -hmm. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. She 
talks a lot about asking people, how are you doing today? And um, second, or that last little word in there, and that really is a grounding question. It can be really overwhelming to approach the rest of your life without this person. And so asking like, how are you doing today is great. Oh, she's so wise. I wish, I wish she was the best friend in real life that I pretend she is in my mind. <laughs> Cause Cheryl Sandberg. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. These tips are so good and so practical because I do really think you feel paralyzed on both ends. If you want to help someone, you can often feel like, are we good enough friends? Are we close enough for me to do something if I just happen to be on the same team with them at work? And so asking really specific questions. Right. Um, and that's so interesting about food. I know um, I've given like grocery gift cards before. Genius. Really? That's genius. Okay. I was going to ask if that's too like open-ended, but. Nope. I, well, in my, perf- my opinion, no, I think that's great. Cause I had never thought about lasagna. That is so, I mean, I'm sure you got hundreds of casseroles and just right. like you said, asking people, um, and allowing them to make a really easy decision so that it, it's not so open-ended. And I think that you just have to accept it's going to be uncomfortable on your end as the person trying to help someone with grief. And that's okay because I, right. I don't think there's any perfect words to say to someone who's lost their father unexpectedly. And that's okay. Nope. Nope. And you know, when I, when I look back and I think about it, like people come out of the woodwork in weird ways. Um, and I went to a bereavement support group, which I fully support. A therapist told us, you know, there's going to be four types of people who will show up to help you. And I thought this framework was really helpful. There's going to be the fixers who show up and just do really practical things, whether that's, you know, fixing a seal on a door or bringing toilet paper. Um, They're going to be the organizers who are helping you get the details done. So the second Mm -hmm. person is a distractor. They're going to be the people who show up and maybe don't have the emotional conversations with you, but will take you to the movies or on a walk or out to get a milkshake. And I think there's really a lot of space for distraction, which is good. And then there's going to be your emotional supports, the people who are willing to sit with you and let you cry and help you process And then the fourth person is going to be the person who you thought would show up and didn't. And I never want to be the fourth person. Mm. And so I think that was a really interesting and enlightening way to think about how can I support someone? I'd rather send a card and feel silly than be someone who people remember as being absent. Oh, you just made me cry. That is so powerful. Because again, I think, especially if we're talking about this in the workplace, and we, we've already talked about, you know, you and I are on the same page of bringing your whole self to work, but where does that start and end? No one knows what that looks like. It's a really imperfect journey because, you know, being too transparent can often get you into trouble or, you know, use the term oversharing, but no one is ever going to blame you for trying to comfort them when something like this is going on. And like you said, it's so much better to feel weird about sending the card than feeling guilty that you didn't help. Oh, that's so good and powerful, Katie. I'm so glad you shared that. One other just thought that's come up as I've been thinking here is, do you have any tips of how, now that you've gone through it, what 
maybe you wish you had said to your boss or been more open about um, when things were happening. And obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. And when you're going through something like this, you're not yourself. But do you ever think about that? Like, oh, if I had been in a place where I'd either thought about it before or been able to prepare myself, are there things that you could have done, you think? Or do you just think that your workplace wasn't ready to help you? I think I'm actually, while I was like horrified to have lost my job at the time, I'm really proud of the way that I kind of realized like, you know what, this is not a good fit. And I think like you were saying before, there's no shame in stepping away from an opportunity that no longer serves you. And grief shakes you to your core and rearranges and the pieces come back together, but like you are not the same person. And if you're in a work environment that does not honor or see or foster creating you as you come back together, like get out of there. (laughs) Um, and I wish, I wish I had given myself more grace because I was pretty mortified at like being let go of this dream job. I think now I'm really proud to say like, holy crap, girl, you went and worked with your dead dad's person who acquired your business. And I can say that because sometimes like you have to be, well, I'm blunt, but, um, when you're actively grieving, showing up, taking a shower, getting your butt in the chair, that is success. And, um, you know, our world has different definitions for what productivity at work looks like. And I think if you can work with your boss to scale that productivity, until you're ready to amp up again, um, you're doing really well. And another thing, the, this is like the worst suckiest part is no one knows what you need, but you, and your boss can't read your mind and your spouse can't read your mind and your mom can't read your mind. So really tuning into like, what do I need in this moment? Whether that's minute by minute or like half hour by Mm. half hour. Um, it's a chance to practice radical self-care. Wow. That was also good. I'm going to title this episode. No one knows what you need, but you, and that, I mean, that's true in so many situations, but I can, I can definitely understand it here. I mean, I, I have not experienced what you have, so I don't want to make comparisons, but you know, I've dealt with grief and yeah, in different ways. And like my, when my grandpa passed away, I was shocked how it affected me at work. And I, you know, he was older, but I lived with my grandparents my entire childhood. And so he was a huge part of my life. And I distinctively remember six to eight weeks after he passed away, just being super depressed one day and not really figuring out what it was. And it's just like you said, it hits you at times. You don't even know you can't anticipate or prepare for it and being okay that it's going to affect your life. I mean, I would say Katie, it's affected your life in a beautiful way with how you've rebuilt yourself because you share your story just like you have here with me today in such a powerful way that's going to help other people. And you do that on your blog and it's made you grateful Mm -hmm. in a new and interesting way. I mean, obviously none of us want these horrible things to happen, but you're just a great example of someone who's kind of risen after something so hard. So I really, thank you. So inspired by you because not everyone does that. Oh, well, this was so good. I'm so, I'm so glad you were able to join me. Do you have anything else? Any parting words? You've dropped so many truth bombs and so much for me to think about, especially as a manager. 
but also just as a peer, I love what you said that you, you just have to show up. You just have to try, just say something. Uh, cause you never know what's going to help someone dealing with something like this. Yeah. I think it's hard to kind of put a bow on it. Um, like you, like you started the episode with, this is tough stuff. And, um, the more you can acknowledge that this is tough and awkward and uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean you're afraid of it, the better. So thanks for providing space. I know, um, not everyone wants to talk about grief on their podcast. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, honestly, Katie, I wouldn't with other people. It's you that inspired me to do this because, I mean, last last August, I had three employees who had unexpected deaths in their family. Wow. And I, I want to think of myself as an empathetic and good boss in that way, but I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And I've learned a lot since... You know, I had a couple examples of, you know, going through that before as a manager, but it's, I, I've learned a lot and I've learned so much from you today. Well, I'm just launching my own website, which is great. It's actually going live later tonight. Um, so you can find me at katiehuey.com. Um, and then on there as well is a link to my blog, or you can just go to 52beautifulthings.com. Um, I write each week about good things that the world has to offer. And um, there is a thread of grief that floats throughout there. So I'm also on Twitter and the Instagrams. Um, and I'd love to be friends there. Oh, I'm so glad that we've, we've reconnected. And again, thank you. You've given me a lot to, to think about and I feel so much better prepared to help the people that I work with when they inevitably go through hard things. Cause like you said, that's life and it's going to happen. So thanks again for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to livelihood. Please share this episode with your friends and be sure to follow Livelihood on Instagram and join the Livelihood community group on Facebook. You can always find more info and episodes on livelihoodwithaway.com.